0: Welcome to
1: episode 97 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. So first of all, I want to say for the first time I'm trying recording outside. I am at our cottage up in northern Michigan for a little long holiday weekend and decided to stay up an extra day. So if you hear birds chirping in the background, that is because I'm outside. Today, I really have the honor to speak with Amy, Eliza's mom. She is just an amazing woman with an amazing story. And what she has done after Eliza's death is truly inspirational. I know that you are all going to be so amazed by what her foundation is able to do to help other families. Their foundation works to help families whose children have recently been diagnosed with autism. It gives them support and comfort to each other and also gives many, many therapies to the children in hopes of giving them everything they need in one location. Right now, they are located in Virginia Beach and are expanding to Richmond, Virginia as well. I just wish them so much hope for the future that they can continue to expand and grow. Thank you so much, Amy, for coming on the Always Andy's Mom podcast and sharing Eliza with us today.
2: Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here.
1: Oh, very good. So do you want to just start out by telling us all about your daughter, Eliza?
2: I would love to. It's my favorite subject. I know, right? (laughs) So Eliza was born, um, April 12th, 2016 or 2012. And, um, she was perfect when she was born. I had a great pregnancy. Everything was fine. We had tried for a few years to get pregnant. So it was quite a, you know, culmination of a lot of things Mm -hmm. just going exactly right. So we were, so excited when she was born. Pretty soon after she was born, I think we started to notice that something wasn't exactly right. Mm -hmm. During that time, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, wow. So she was about five months old when I was diagnosed. And so I had to do chemo and radiation and all that. And so it was sort of like this time period of, wait, is it me? Is it something really wrong? So we sort of just You know, muddled through that time. And um, when she was about 16 months old, I noticed that she did this weird little thing when she was sitting at the table where she would like sort of flinch. And at first, I didn't think it was anything. And then we took her to the doctor and found out it was a seizure. Mm -hmm. So, um, a myoclonic seizure. Mm -hmm. So, took her to neurology. They looked at her. Yes, she has epilepsy she's having seizures all day so it was this sort of boom, rude like awakening of like wait something is wrong with my child and I think I didn't know much about epilepsy at the time Mm -hmm. I was like oh people sometimes have seizures I didn't know how serious that it could be I didn't know that it affected development and so she wasn't talking um And she had just some developmental delays and then she was diagnosed with autism. So we had all these things happening at once. And so, you know, I guess it's just a mom thing. I am not special. Any mom would do it. You just dig in and just try to figure things out. Mm -hmm. Getting Getting a diagnosis of anything for your child is scary. And especially your first child, you have no idea. And, when it's something like autism or epilepsy, there's also this sort of, you don't know who to reach out to right. or who to talk to finding another parent. I mean, it's hard. So, you know, I just sort of, me and my husband just really tried to do whatever we could to like be inclusive with other people that you know, if I found any other parent who had a child with autism, I was like, okay, we're best friends now.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, right. Just you
2: and me. <laughs> right, right. So, she was the happiest little girl. She was mostly nonverbal, but she was so happy. Mm-hmm. She would just walk up to anybody and like hug them, kiss them. She. We were in Home Depot one day, and. She was walking she would always walk like in front of us just like a mission on a mission and a lady that worked at home depot was standing in one of the aisles and she just walked up to her and she goes hi and then hugged her and the lady was like you have no idea how much that meant to me i was having the worst day and i feel so much better so oh. she brought Eliza one of the little Home Depot aprons. It was just super sweet. <laughs> so she just like really made your day when you saw her. Mm-hmm. She was always smiling. Her favorite things were popcorn and the song Happy. And she loved Frozen, the movie. Uh-huh. And she loved Pinecones.
1: I have to tell you, Andy's, one of Andy's very favorite songs was Happy. It was? Yes. Oh, loved, I love that. I love that song. Mm-hmm. oh that's
2: just. I mean sweet. it's a good song it is a good but it's sweet song but that, that day that mm-hmm. that's a Yeah. That's a thing so yeah she was I mean she was amazing because she woke up every day and didn't realize how much harder life was for her mm-hmm. than it was for a typical child and she just really like, just persevered through everything. She was hospitalized a lot when she was young. She Mm -hmm. had a hole in her heart that had to be repaired. And the the doctor came in before in in like the pre-op and he was talking to Eliza and she understood, I think she understood more than I like, than you know, I think she understood more than I thought. Yeah.
1: More than she got credit for. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the doctor came in and was talking to her. And before he left, he was like, okay, Eliza, we'll see you soon. And he, she grabbed his hand and just kissed the top of his hand. I was like, my sweet girl. So you could just, I mean, you can see in her pictures. She's just always just really sweet and happy. Mm -hmm. And um, it's when, when she passed away, that was, it was just, how can this? How can this be? This happy, sweet little girl mm. that was just walking around, you know, mm. all of a sudden, they're gone. Yeah.
1: So, so, what did happen with Eliza?
2: She she had been in the hospital that summer. Um, she passed away November eleventh, two thousand sixteen. And the summer before, she had been in the hospital for a three-week stint in the PICU and then two weeks because she had extremely low muscle tone. Mm-hmm. And so when she would get sick, she was unable to clear her airway properly because she couldn't really cough. Mm-hmm. And this was not something I even had, like, I knew she had low muscle tone right. because they were always, you know, how you all always, like, check the legs and I don't know what, how, you know, but you know, (laughs) and um, I didn't realize that it affects other parts of you. So the pulmonologist would come in and say, you know, she doesn't clear and you have to try to get her to cough, but she didn't like understand. Mm -hmm. to like, so she was in with double pneumonia numerous times that summer. Um, for long periods of time she was on a ventilator at one point oh, wow. um, and then she kind of got a, was out of the woods but I so she was tested for a lot of genetic mm-hmm. things that all came back negative but the the um, the doctor said to us you know there's a lot of things we don't know yeah. and there probably is something genetic but we don't know right now, but we could know in five years. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: I just, she just started to decline. And I don't know if I noticed it while she was here or if now I just see it looking back at pictures and things like that. But Mm -hmm. there was one day that in my mind, I popped in my mind, Is Eliza going to live a long life. I just, I can't. And then I just like, Oh my gosh, why would I think that? Like, Mm -hmm. How could I even like think those thoughts? So I was actually going on a girl's trip and it's funny because it took us forever to pick out the dates to get 10 girls together for our friend who was getting married. Mm -hmm. Like, can you imagine, you know, 10 people on a text trying to figure out a date, a weekend that works for everybody.
1: Right. Right.
2: So we settled on November 10th, we were going to leave and go to Vegas. So I left um, I kissed Eliza goodbye and there's this one moment that I stood at her door and I was like, should I go in? It's so early. I don't want to wake her up because she struggled with falling asleep and staying asleep. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to go in and kiss her. So I go in, I kiss her goodbye and I left and then get to Vegas and the morning of the 11th. So we were there that day into the night and the next morning I was staying with four of my girlfriend's. And my phone rang. And so I hopped up and I was like, oh, it's so early. And why is Aaron calling me so early? And um, I picked up the phone and I could tell he was crying. And I said, what? What's wrong? And he said, Eliza's very sick. And I knew immediately. And I just like screamed, is she dead? And he said, yes. And I, I don't even know. Like you see in movies when... People find out someone's died and they fall onto the ground. Mm -hmm. I always would see movies and I'm always like, is that really a thing? And it is. I fell to the, I literally couldn't keep myself up. Yeah. I, I don't really remember a lot after. It was just very chaotic. I was screaming so loud. And she, my mom had come to stay with Aaron to help with Eliza. And she woke up to go get her up to take her to school and she didn't wake up. And he, my mom went in Aaron's room and said, Eliza won't wake up. And Aaron went in and she had passed away in her sleep. They said it's sudden unexplained death and epilepsy, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I mean, Eliza took all her medication. She was, I didn't even really know about it. I didn't know Mm -hmm. that that was a thing. That they just flow. Yeah. and so I spent a lot of. Um... And,
1: and you know, you're my third mom that I've had on whose child died from sudden unexplained death and epilepsy. I don't know if you're aware of that. No. Number three, mm-hmm. no, in less than a hundred episodes now. I, I have to say, I didn't even realize uh, as common as it was, right? Because I haven't had. I've had many patients with epilepsy, epilepsy, but I haven't had many patients die. Um, yeah, yeah, it's. I, I recently just had one diagnosed that has epilepsy, and we've been treating her epilepsy for a long time, and she has a genetic disorder, and they recently found out that it has a really high association with sudden uh. unexplained death and epilepsy, and, and now they are going to do surgery, even though there are going to be very likely high complication rates, but I thought after meeting all of you, <laughs> I couldn't do anything but recommend that they get the surgery. You know what I mean? It's just- yeah.
2: Yeah, because I, and I don't even know if it's something that I wished I would have known.
1: Right. More right. More about.
2: I have asked if people I'm that like,
1: question. Hmm.
2: Yeah. I. It's it's such a. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. There's. Right. And and I I called her cardi. I called all of her doctors. I wanted someone to make sense of it for me. Mm-hmm. And I said. Well, if my husband would have checked her in the middle of the night, could that have helped? Or what if I would have been sleeping next to her? And they were like, nothing. There's nothing. You wouldn't. What if we would have done CPR? What if Aaron would have like? And there's nothing. There's mm-hmm. nothing you can do. And it's sort of, um, it's this such a helpless feeling. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, we all know it. You feel helpless because like we're supposed to protect our children. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The last mom I had talked to, had, she, her daughter was about 20 and she was sure that she probably hadn't been taking her medication. Right. Because she had just come home to visit and she did die at home. But she was like, I bet she wasn't taking her medicine. And all the, everything came back. Perfect levels. Perfect levels of all her seizure meds. Mm. You know, there's just absolutely nothing because you just want there nothing. to be something that you could have done. Something. Yeah. And I do feel I'm happy for my family that there is an option of doing surgical things, even though, you know, there are going to be bad things with that, too. But at least they have an option because most people just Mm -hmm. don't at all. You just
2: don't. Right. And we loved our neurologist, but she didn't talk a lot about Mm -mm. SUDAP. And why would she? I mean, if there's nothing you can do to prevent it, it's like, I mean, I think it's sort of like SIDS. Where there's mm-hmm. just really no explanation, they yeah. don't don't really even know what happens,
1: right? Right, and so I think you're right in that neurologist was it is it smart they didn't tell you or not? But likely it was because it, you would have just lived in even more fear yeah. every single day. Is today fear. going to be the day she doesn't wake up? Right,
2: right. I I can't imagine living like that.
1: Mm-mm. No, I know.
2: So I mean,
1: there's. I,
2: I dug in, I tried to figure things out because there was nothing else I could do right. except like put my mind, get my mind to work like, okay, wait, what if, what if, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, um, you know, I think she, she suffered more than maybe I wanted to believe. Mm-hmm. I think no, no child wants to spend six weeks in the pick you, you know, during the summer. I mean, that's terrible. And she spent a lot of days in therapy, just speech therapy, occupational, physical therapy, all of those things. And, you know, that was in the foreseeable future, that was going to be her life. Mm -hmm. So I could never have imagined that I would lose a child, just like I'm sure you could never have imagined. And it's, not anything, there's there's really nothing that compares to that. And yeah. it's just so different than losing anybody else.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's part of you. It really is part of you.
1: Yeah. I think that's, that is the difference. You're right there. It's part of you. And yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: There's no comparing mm-hmm. to it. And I I feel like people respect that. And, you know, there's occasionally the person that will say, and I'm going to use this as an example because it just happened. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They'll say something like, and I think you did a podcast about this, Mm -hmm. how many children do you have? Mm -hmm. And I don't have any more children. It was only Eliza. So I will say, well, I have one. Um, She passed away. She was four and a half. Mm-hmm. and she said oh my goodness I'm so sorry I know how painful that is I lost I had a miscarriage and and it was extremely painful and I was like okay I'm just gonna like respect that that was painful for her that's her story mm-hmm. but there's always a little something where I'm like
1: let's just yeah it's a you're right it's hard to it's compare it's hard one right? for me mm-hmm. it's hard to compare
2: and I know that's just that people just want to feel like they're connecting with you, mm-hmm. but there's always, it's like, it's sort of like I've come to this place and I really try to work on it of like comparing like pain and grief. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm at the top and everybody else is here and it's terrible, but it's just, you want, you want people to know how painful it is mm-hmm. so that they can sort of, you know, come alongside you and and just, you know, be a part of it and understand what you're going through. But nobody is going to ever understand. No. And that's sort of what I've had to come to to
1: realize. Yeah. And even if you've lost a a, a child, you'd, your grief is not exactly the same. I mean, even my husband mm-hmm. and I, our grief is not exactly the same. And, we, and we're both parents of the same child who died. And our grief is different. Mm-hmm. So if our grief can be different, then certainly my grief is different than yours and is different from everybody else's. It's just kind of getting that understanding that for all of us, it's the worst thing we've ever experienced. And for the woman who had right. a miscarriage, that is the worst thing she's ever experienced for sure. Right. So, yeah, that's, it, it's hard not to compare sometimes, but I think it, it's good when you can hit that point and you can go, you know what? I'm not going to anymore. Right. Just know that it's just right. awful. And,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's interesting because, I mean, someone very early on, um, a therapist told me and my husband you have to respect how each of you grieves because it's going to be so different. Mm-hmm. And I, in my mind, I'm like, it's not going to be that different. It's so different. Yeah. It's shocking how different mm-hmm. it's like, are we in the same life? <laughs> is this the same life? Right. Because it's just, it, there's a, I think there's a different connection between a mother and child than there is with a father and child. I, I just think there's a different, it's just different. Mm-hmm. And so we grieve differently.
1: Mm -hmm. And our relationships were different, right? It wasn't the Mm -hmm. same. You don't, my relationship is different with my three children even. So, you know, I I would grieve all of them, each of them differently in many ways and not one more or less than another for sure. But all of the grief would be different because we have a different relationship because they're a unique individual. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Right. So, in that immediate time afterwards, I mean, there just must have been a lot. You just having to get home, and how even was that? Like you were with girlfriends, right? In the- I was with
2: yes, I was with girlfriends, and it's amazing how like my community, my friends came together here in Virginia Beach when it happened to get me home because it was. I mean, that's, a, I'm as far, you know, yeah. west as you can go. So it was going to take a long time. So a girlfriend called one of my friends that was in the room with us. And I was like, crazy. like the security yeah. had to come. It was terrible. And my friend said, you have, there's a flight. We have two tickets for you to fly with Amy, get to the airport. You're flying Delta. Leaving in two hours, get there, blah blah blah. So we're just like throwing things in bags. I really don't. It's it's shocking how how little I remember, but then there are these little things that come like are yeah. so clear. Mm-hmm. So they are wheelchairing me through the Tuscena. It was like so surreal. I'm in yeah. big, like the craziest oh, yeah. place to be. Yeah, that and is. It, In a smoky casino, I am like wanting to. I just kept saying, I want to die. I just want to die.
1: Well, and and I'm sure in your mind, I just think about even myself. I wanted the world to end. And some ways, I wanted every person to know that the world had ended because Andy was dead. And like the world should not be going on. So for you Mm -hmm. to be in this casino, which is like you know all happy and everybody's crazy and having fun yeah. right that's the whole thing you're supposed and to do like, have fun you're like do you not understand the world is over right now you all should stop right you all should yeah. stop
2: I told everybody that I was yeah if someone said are you I know my baby died yep and they would be like and I'm like I don't care if I'm shocking you right now I know <laughs> I'm I telling know. everybody uh-huh
1: I was exactly the same way. Like my child is dead. My son is dead. Like yeah. why are you telling perfect strangers that your son is dead? Because I was like because the world is over and they shouldn't right. be going around and having a happiness happy moment right now. Right. Like I didn't right. want any
2: I was to be happy. I, 100%. <laughs> I um they got me on the flight and I was sitting with my friend and I was hyster- I mean, I don't even know what I was but I just remember so many people were looking and I was just saying, My baby died, my baby died. And people were like very shocked. Yeah. I could tell. But I was okay with it. Yeah. My attendant came up to me and said, I am so sorry. I just have to ask you, you have to calm down because we they won't let us take off until you're like, and I was like, what? So I like had to keep it together Mm -hmm. on this flight. And I, I, so many things, so many things happened on this, like, on this journey home. Um, you know, just so much kindness that I experienced from strangers Mm -hmm. that I will like never forget. Um, You know, the lady who's wheeling me through the airport, just like praying over me when we got to Atlanta, Um, the stranger, this man coming up to me and, and asking me if he could get me a cup of tea, you know, I was on the, I got on the flight. So we flew to Atlanta. We had a layover and then we got back on the flight and Atlanta to Virginia beach is like an hour. Um, I sat down, my girlfriend was on one side and this lady came and sat next to me and I was in, I was in the middle. And um, she goes, are you okay? What's wrong? And I said, my daughter died, my daughter died. And she, she went, huh. and she like took a deep breath and she gets her headset on, puts her phone, gets ready. And she grabs my hand and she just held my hand the entire flight. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and crazy enough, She lived in Virginia beach. And a few years later, I was in a store. She walked up to me and she was like, I sat next to you on the flight that your daughter died. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And like, how do you remember me? She's like, I will never forget your face ever. And I was like, just the fact that that like stuck with her. And it was, it's, it just shows like, humans and how you know we always see all the bad and Mm -hmm. we look at the news and see all the terrible things that people do and there's just still so much good Mm -hmm. and I think when you're going through something that horrifying to be able to like find some good is such a blessing Mm -hmm. and I was able to you know I had these friends who um When I was getting off the flight, my brother and my best friend's husband were standing wait like waiting at the at the plane. Like Mm -hmm. they bought one way tickets. One way refundable tickets because they wouldn't let them through security unless they had a ticket. They were like, But my sister They were like, sorry. So they bought one way refundable tickets so that they could stand there. They literally just had a plan of car was outside. Someone got my bags, and they just took me straight to the funeral home where Eliza was. So I always say that my friends could like rule the world (laughs) because they did a really good job of making it as easy as possible for me when I got back. Yeah, it was a crazy journey and I would never, I mean, just like I said in the beginning, it took us, Weeks to pick a date for us to leave for yeah. the girls' trip, and it's just, wait, what are the chances that that would be yeah. the weekend? It's just, and I, I definitely believe that, you know, I wasn't supposed to be there to find Elijah. Yeah. I, I was don't wondering know that too. Mm-hmm. How? Yeah, I don't know if I would have ever been able to. That that's for me. That seems like a really bad place to be. I, I don't know how well I would have done. I'm not good under extremes like that. my husband is really good yeah. and I just tend to freak and I can only imagine what that would have been like.
1: Well, and I, I think that same thing too. And that in the car accident, you know, I lost consciousness and Eric didn't. And, and in some ways it was like Eric needed to try. Eric needed to do CPR on his son and try, because that's what he does, right? He's an anesthesiologist. He does that for a living. If he wouldn't have had a chance to try, I'm not sure he would have been able to forgive himself, right? And, And I needed him to try, because I know he would do it better than me. And especially in that circumstance, would I have been able to do compressions and and rescue breathing on my baby I don't know that I would have but I know that Eric oh, right. did and did the best that he could so you know I wish I could have held him one more time for sure right but in the grand scheme of things it probably was the best that the the person that needed to try did and the person me who really couldn't I mean I, yeah. I couldn't because I wasn't even conscious. Right. So I couldn't. So and I and couldn't say like that, right? And yeah. And it was probably for the best. Although so much of me wished like, how I could know. I not? I mean, you were physically not there, so I'm sure that's you. And for me it was like, I was physically there, but I was unconscious. Like but you know, like how, I'm, a, I'm almost not forgiving myself for not being oh. aware, right?
2: Oh, I, I'm like, how could I have, how could I not have been there? Right. Because I, there's always a little something that thinks if I would have been there, would things have been different? Right. I always checked her three or four times a night. I, you know, and then I'm like, I I could like beat myself up about this all my, for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. But Aaron did CPR. I would not have been able to do CPR. Mm Mm-hmm. He was the bat and he's the fixer and he's the one. So I would have probably beat myself up if I wouldn't have done it right and thought that that's the reason that, you yeah. know, there's all these, there's, it's just, it can, it, it can eat you alive. Just all of the like wondering what, yeah, if. The what if, what
1: if, what those if, those are really
2: hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are really hard.
1: Those are really, really hard. So I'm glad that you had someone like by your side that, All of that time. So how long did it take you to get back then? Oh,
2: we left at like 10. Oh, we left at like 8 in the morning. So 11 o'clock East Coast time. And I got to the funeral home around 7 p.m. Okay. And then, you know, I don't think anything will ever prepare you for that. No. Right? No. I mean, I don't think that people realize the hardest thing for me was leaving. Like you're leaving your baby. Yeah. Like it was her body. People liked, I mean, they said they thought they were saying the right thing. It's just her body. I'm like, no, this is my baby. So I was terrified to walk into that funeral home. I was like, I don't even think I can do this. Yeah. And I walked in and, and I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Like there's, but then, but I wanted to so bad. I wanted to like touch her.
1: Yeah.
2: And when I got up to her, it was, I mean, I remember it so clearly mm-hmm. of like, I think I'm going to throw up. This is not happening to me. I, I couldn't believe that this was my life. Yeah. All I I wanted to die so bad. I remember praying in the plane, Please let this plane crash I can't live Mm -hmm. like the 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 feeling of having to live is like like wait this is just not ever I can't I can't right and I I wondered if other people felt like that Mm -hmm. like you want to die yeah
1: absolutely absolutely (laughs) <laughs> it, it, you do feel that way it's like not that you're going to actively kill yourself but like you you were right, like no. you're like you're not gonna kill yourself but gosh if this plane went down right now that'd be great i'm good <laughs> or if i i mean I, yes
2: i wasn't gonna do something right to myself, you weren't actively but suicidal but i just wanted me i just wanted to disappear
1: right i wanted to disappear and my husband called it my soft death wish yeah, yes, soft That is so good Yeah. I, right, because I'm not going to actively do something But do I have a little bit of a death wish? Yeah uh-huh. Because he, totally. after a while he's like I need you to stop having the soft death wish I can't let you talk about it anymore So like, okay, we will not be talking about it
2: Okay <laughs> So yeah, seeing your child Oh, that is something
1: You can't yeah.
2: get out of your head No And then leaving and just like wondering And what it? Uh,
1: it's, it's I know my the therapist had said to me every mom. So she really exclusively sees bereaved mothers. That's like her entire oh. practice is seeing bereaved mothers. Wow! And she said she has never seen somebody that didn't want to know exactly what happened. Like you need oh. to know exactly what happened. And and other types of loss aren't isn't that same way. But a mother always wants to know. Oh to the detail, exactly what happened to their child. So I found that really, it was interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was nice for her to tell me that because it made me feel more normal because I was so upset with myself over that lost 30 minutes, that lost 30 minutes that I don't remember. Like what I want, I want to remember. I want to know because part of that I was actually conscious because when I like came to, I was sitting on the side of the road and, and my husband was there and I clearly didn't know what was going on. And he was looking at me like, how do you not know what was going on? Because I'd been awake, but I was, um, but I have memory loss, you know? So, you know, so that's why were I your like, other, were your other three had kids in the car? Only one of them. Okay. My son, Peter, the younger one, okay. we were just going to this baseball game and, um, my older daughter was had a violin lesson, so she didn't go. And then my foster son was working, so he didn't go. Um, but I, I do have to say, had they been in the car, I would have lost three um, because um, the entire back, we are in a minivan, and the entire back was completely crushed. And there would have been zero chance of anyone uh, in the back surviving. So, I mean, thank goodness they weren't in the car because I, I know I would have lost three of them and not, not wow. one. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. One <laughs> uh, yeah. One is bad enough.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I found myself reading books about child loss mm-hmm. about, um, I read rare bird who I listened ah, to that podcast. I love, I love, that. Her. love her. She's mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. And, and I, um, I wanted to connect with other moms who had lost children so badly and I just wanted to not feel as alone. And so I read about Jack and, and I don't know, there's something, it's like, I feel like I know her story so Mm -hmm. well from Mm -hmm. reading that book and going through all the different things and, talking about when her husband like went to the museum and she was like, how could you go to a museum when we just lost our child? And I was like, right, Right. I know my husband wanted to go to the movies. I was like, what? Eliza just died two days ago. What are you talking about? Yeah. And so just to, just to be able to, um, hear other, other mom's stories has just been life saving to me, honestly. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, even just you telling me that moms want to know yeah. details, Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, I'm And not that's alone. why, right, I and that's why you wanted to know,
1: you wanted to know absolutely yeah. every single thing, what could I possibly have done, is there anything that could have changed this? You needed to know. Right, right, mm-hmm. right, right, right. Yeah, it's, yeah, I remember Gwen saying something to me about how difficult it is to feel powerless, you know, how that mm. is so, so mm-hmm. hard to feel powerless. And you would rather almost feel some guilt, like there's something that you missed than to accept the fact that you're completely powerless in this situation. Uh, that
2: is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's like, if I know that I did something or didn't do something, mm-hmm. it will make more sense to me Right. than just, I had no power. Right. And I never did.
1: Right. Right. And especially because that's accepting that you are powerless in this situation. That means you're powerless in a hundred more situations in the future. Yeah. And you can't prevent any of that either. And that's so scary because you really want to feel like you've got a little bit of control. Right. And that maybe you messed up somehow. If I messed up, then okay, then I won't do it again. And I won't lose something else super precious to me again.
2: Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that's a hard place to sit because we spend our whole lives with this. We're going to, you know, our child is born. They're going to go to school. They're going to graduate. They're going to go to college. They're going to get married. Have I mean, it's yeah. all planned out. That's what we think. Yeah. And then one day we're like, wait, that might not happen. Mm-hmm. It might not be just like we imagined. And I think they don't teach that. That doesn't, like, come in a guidebook of, like, okay, here are your plans, and this is what we want to happen, but it might not happen like that. And that's hard. That's really hard. That is
1: hard. And like we had said earlier about would you have wanted to know that SUDEP really existed or not? That's the thing, too. Do you really want to live thinking, oh, this might not turn out? right? right. My child could die any day. And then all of this right. thoughts that I had of being a grandparent and all of this right. is gone. I mean, do you yeah. want to live like that? Not really. I don't really want other people to live like that either. Right, Ugh, It's just hard. When,
2: when I had, um, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I was terrified I was going to die mm-hmm. and that I was going to leave my new baby. And I was talking to um, my friend's dad, and he said, he said, you're no closer to dying today than you were a week ago. You could just cross the street and like get hit by a car. It's all relative, really. Yes, you have this diagnosis, but you know that might not be what's going to take you out. It could be you just walking across the street tomorrow. And I was like, oh, that kind of really does. I mean, nobody's promised tomorrow. And I think that's the, that's the hardest thing that I've had to learn is none of us are promised tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I think um, when it's your child, I think that's when it gets a little trickier yeah. because you're not supposed to outlive your child. No. no. And I can accept my own mortality a lot better than I can accept my child. Mm-hmm. And um, I think... I think that it's just shown me so many things that we are taught and that we learn and just by osmosis, not even that someone really teaches us, but just about being powerless and, and you know, thinking that everything's going to turn out the way we want it to turn out when that is not the case. And we spend so many days and researching pacifiers and what kind of bottle and do we Do, you know, use this diaper? Do we use this crib? Really, it isn't going to matter. I like read this thing where it was just this like little poem thing that about a mom in Target, pregnant mom in Target, and like looking up at all of the different things that, you know, you're going to need. And the woman looking at her is like, it doesn't matter. It's not going to, it's not going to make any difference, that pacifier, that, you know, formula, if you breastfeed, like all of those things are good or they're, you know, better than the other, but it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, I did do everything right
1: yeah,
2: for the most part. And it didn't, it didn't change anything. Oh, I know. And I think that's where it's, um, I think that's where you just really have to come to terms with and realize like, okay, I did, I was the best mom that I could be. And, and now I just have to like do my best to keep my daughter's memory alive.
1: Why don't we talk about that now about how you're keeping Eliza's memory alive? Because I think it's pretty amazing what you've been doing.
2: Thank you. Um, so we don't have any other children. So when Eliza passed away, it was just a couple days after, and I was like, I have to do something. Like she can't be forgotten. Mm -hmm. I don't, I want everybody to know that she was here. And like far after I'm gone. So I just thought about it and I was like, you know, the one thing that we really lacked was a community when Eliza was diagnosed with autism. Mm -hmm. And there's just so many like misconceptions about autism. And there's just so many, um, there's just so much that goes along with an autism diagnosis. I mean, it's a spectrum. Yes, we all know that it's a spectrum. But I don't, you know, I always had in my mind, oh it's children that don't make eye contact they don't want to be touched and that's really not it I know. eliza loved to be touched and squeezed and hugged like she would want to be hugged all day which was like my love language
1: yeah i i love oh. that you talked about eliza in that way because you are 100 percent right that is not what people think about when they think of autism right because it's just Mm-mm. is such a wide variety and and I bet that woman at Home Depot, when she said hi and mm. gave her a hug, if you would have uh, if you would have asked that woman, "Do you think this child has autism?" she would have said, "No, yeah. right? absolutely not. No way, yeah, because absolutely. that's not what her in her mind it is." So I love right. that you kind of expanded that because it's not a narrow diagnosis. Yeah. It's really so inclusive to so. It really things.
2: isn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she would make eye contact, yeah. and you know, there's just, and I was just the same. I didn't know yeah. because it's like, okay, here's the list, and if that you could check, yes, then then they have autism, but that's not really uh-uh. accurate. So, um, I just so when Eliza was diagnosed, we took her to the neurologist, and they gave us a paper and said and gave us a prescription for um, ABA therapy, which is behavioral therapy. And then they gave us a list of like 30 different providers of ABA therapy. And I was like, I don't even know what this means. Like, I literally have never heard of this. He's like, it's the type of therapy that works really well with children with autism. And I was like, okay. So you're just like looking at this list. Like, I don't know, who are these people? Like, I have literally no clue. I don't know who to call. I know she needs speech, she needs OT, she needs PT, and she needs ABA therapy. Like, I don't know anything about any of these things. Mm -hmm. So to me, I felt like it was so important to be able to help moms like me Mm -hmm. and to help families like ours. And I spent so many Saturdays being so jealous of families that were taking their kids to soccer or taking their uh, kids to dance or any of those things, because I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of special needs programs that say they're for kids with special needs, but there's a very big difference from Eliza to, you know, another child with special needs. There's, I mean, she needed one-on-one, like hand over hand. So I wanted to create a center that was beautiful, that didn't look like a doctor's office, that a child can come and get all their therapy, ABA, OT, PT, speech, and social skills all in one center, and that parents can come when they get a diagnosis and they can sit across from me, and every one of them is like, "We have no idea what to do," and I'm like, "I know," and you don't, and you shouldn't know what to do. Right. So I am going to help you. Mm-hmm. So we have um, our CHKD is our Children's Hospital here and their neurology department will refer people to us for when they get diagnosed. Uh, We see four or five new families a week and we're growing and we're outgrowing our space and we're opening a center in Richmond, which is about an hour and a half from Virginia Beach. And it's just, it's done so much good for our community. We see about 150 kids a week in and out for different therapies and all of the therapists that work here all were Eliza's therapists at one point or another Mm -hmm. they came alongside when I said this is what I wanted to do so I'm sure you know this but when your child dies everybody wants to help somehow Mm -hmm. they want to raise money for you or they want to make you food or do all of those things and so they were like some friends were like well people want to like give money and I'm like I don't, I feel we, I don't want to take people's money for like, we, we've got the funeral. Like it's, and, and then I'm like, wait, well, why don't they can raise money? They can give money towards this foundation that I want to build. Mm-hmm. So this was like day five. I don't even, I feel like, I'm just going to go up and say, I feel like I had some superhuman strength at that time to even come up with give money to this foundation that I'm going to start. Like crazy. <laughs> that does not
1: even exist yet. Yes. So,
2: <laughs> right. That doesn't even exist. And we ended up raising $60,000. Wow. So that was sort of like the seed money. And it sort of like got me to like, okay, well, now I have people who believe in this. So now I really have to do it. Mm-hmm. So we got our 501c3 about five, four months after Eliza died. And then, about a year and a half after that, we opened up the center here in Virginia Beach.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and what's it the really, name of the center? It really, I love it.
2: It's the Eliza Hope Therapy Center. I know. It's I so love good. that
1: name. I wanted it's you to so say good. it. Oh. <laughs> thank you.
2: It's so good. I um, my big thing was I had this like vision of this big sign that had Eliza's name on it on a building from the very first day, and so. We worked with, you know, the sign company. I made it the way I wanted it to look. And they said, so we were having a ribbon cutting ceremony and they said, okay, we'll do it the day before the ribbon cutting ceremony. And I was like, okay. So a few days before I was driving to the center and my friend Shelly, who is the director of all of this, she called and said, Hey, can you stop? And like, she was trying to stall me basically. So she stalled me and then I pull up and I look and the sign was up and I just sobbed. I was like, there it is. I like did this. Like the Eliza Hope therapy center has a big sign and it's going to light up at night. So I get out of the car and I'm sobbing and I hug Shelly and the two men that were like, putting up the sign they're standing there and I like hugged them and I know they were like, what is going on here? Why is this lady hugging us? But it was just such a like full circle moment for me where I got to like see her name up there and know that in so many ways she was going to change people's lives. And that's really like all that I hoped for.
1: Yeah,
2: And I think um, if if I can say that she changed one child's life, that makes me happy, and I just know that she's changed so many more. Yeah,
1: it's just such a beautiful thing. I just love the whole idea of it, and I mean, as a pediatrician, a, f- a few years ago, our office actually decided to hire two nurses now we have in our office that are complex care coordinators and they do they they help families so like your family that would get a diagnosis like that then they're the point person in our office because I did feel like I was at a loss and you do have to just give this list of names and then they have to do it all and so now I can set give these women's names and say, if you call the office, I need you to talk to them, and they're going to walk you through this and get you the people you need. That's what we have to do in our office. As kind of a little, that's perfect. Little, well, we we do that because we don't have something like what you have. Right? Oh, right. Right. I mean, but, I it mean, would be even better to be able to say, I'm going to send right. you to this amazing, awesome place that's going to teach you all about your child's diagnosis. Plus, give your child every single therapy they could possibly need. I mean, wow. Yeah. What a gift. Yeah. What a gift. Yeah, it
2: is. I I mean, I've talked to so many parents that are like, this has changed our lives. This has been and I'm like, oh, like. It has. And I know it would have for me too. Mm -hmm. And we started a um, hope stars league and it's soccer, basketball. It's all the different sports we do every, you know, 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. And the first soccer we started it last fall and it was, we started with soccer and I wanted the parents to just be able to sit on the sidelines and watch their kids and have enough volunteers that the parents didn't have to come in and like run after their child because, That's really what we just do. We just run after our child. And so we had enough. And I just got to see these parents just like relax and see their child doing something that they might not ever have gotten the opportunity to do. And it was huge. The news came. It was like the most amazing thing. And giving them their little trophies at the end, I mean, it's so life-changing for everybody for not just the kids, because the kids, yeah, they like the trophy, but it's fine. The parents though, and the volunteers are so changed by that experience to say, to see, okay, not every family is the same and this is a hard road. And so when, when you see families like ours out in the community, you get a little glimpse of this and you're like, okay, I get it. I can understand it a little better now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What a gift though, that you're just giving them. It's just so, so beautiful and amazing. And I, I hope you keep expanding going to Richmond now. So how many therapists do you have on staff? Well,
2: we have probably about 16.
1: Oh my word. Yeah. It's just amazing. It is. It really is amazing. But it does show that there's such a need. And the other thing I was thinking about is when you're a p- healthcare provider doing this, you have to, you know, you give these recommendations and then all of them all take different insurance. So that's always a huge problem, oh. too. Like, well, what insurance do you have? Oh, you're this insurance. You can go here, but you can't go here and you can't. Do, so that is oh, such yeah. a beautiful thing, too, to be able to just know that you're going to be at one place so you don't have to jockey around based on what your insurance is. Right.
2: Right. We just, we want it just to be easy for, for parents because there's so many more things that are going to be difficult. Like let's just take this off their plate and make sure that we have the best therapists and the best space Mm -hmm. and the best volunteers. So they don't have to worry about that. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I just love what you're doing. You are 100% keeping Eliza's memory alive for today and long, long into the future because this is going to go on for a long, long time. So thank you. And thank you you so much for writing to me and sharing because I am so blessed. I am so blessed to be able to share Eliza's story like this.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you. And I'm so glad that I got to get a glimpse of Andy's life too.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We're always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy@andy'smom.com. at Be sure to visit the webpage andysmom.com for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.